he's done a ton of heat research, heat acclimation, heat adaptation, heat performance stuff. Yeah. Um, and he was one of the ones that released the initial study on slushy drinks and performance. Okay. So okay. Um, save, save it, save it for the show. Okay. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> okay. Hi everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to our Kona Tech Wrap-Up show. So I spent uh, a week on the ground. I took, you know, I'd, I bit the bullet there and went to Hawaii for a week to enjoy the new technology and Tough the... life, Andrew. <laughs> and the terrible weather um, that, uh, that Kona has to offer. So uh, as a quick side note, uh, we did not get a lot of sympathy. Um, I went there <laughs> with a colleague of mine, Scott Cooper, so we did not get a lot of sympathy. Because the day we left for Kona, I think uh, Calgary got around a foot and a half of snow. <laughs> you guys are asses. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> we left everyone behind. And uh, whenever we complained about how hot it was there, um, sadly, it fell on deaf ears. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it was it was an interesting trip nonetheless. Um, for anyone who hasn't been there, the heat really is something. I can't I can't reinforce that enough. Like having lived through Ontario summers where you do get a lot of heat and humidity, Kona is just next level beyond that. There's a ton of humidity there. Um, you get all the heat radiating off the ground, like all the, the lava rock. Um, so it's just, it's hard to explain, but it's just oppressive. Um, so we spent four or five days in the expo and where we were, uh, we had no breeze at all and we were just in direct sunlight all day. So it was it was pretty tough. <laughs> so like I said, no one's sympathetic, but, uh, when you have the sun beating down on you all day, it makes, it makes you really feel the heat and it gives you an appreciation of what all the athletes have to put up with there. So it's, uh, it's just next level. Like I, I can't really explain it. You have to experience it. Yeah. So you did, you did some quality heat adaptation training while you were there then. Yeah. So actually as a result of kind of getting used to the heat, I made the decision, why not try Ironman Cozumel? So kind of, go from what I had adapted in Hawaii and just, uh, keep building on that. So we'll, we'll touch on that later though, but that's, um, yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to go to Mexico in November, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're living the life, man. You get, you get Hawaii in October and next month, Mexico. And that's, that's pretty good. I am, uh, I'm going to have to live vicariously through you on these, uh, on these trips, Andrew. If you want to feel what Hawaii felt like, lock yourself in a closet with a space heater and <laughs> dump water on yourself. So, uh, pass for now. Yeah. Um, anyway, so while you were there, you um, well, you obviously had <laughs> four eyes responsibility, but then the endurance innovation also tasked you to um, dig up as many interesting things uh, that you know the uh, the manufacturers um, were showcasing at the at the island and report back and uh, you came back with five yeah so there were five things that um, that kind of caught my interest there weren't a ton of launches per se it was more just some of maybe not old technology but last year's technology that I finally got a closer look at mm, um, okay. and then there were there were a few trends I saw that are kind of interesting as well um, so the first one I wanted to to talk about really was uh, the new specialized bikes. The Shiv got a lot of press coverage, some good, some bad. Um, and to be honest, I 
I hated it when I first saw it, but it has grown on me quite a bit. Um, and one of the things that they've really done is just this integration of all the hydration and everything else. They're trying to essentially, from what I see, follow the lead of Ventum, where Ventum's got everything integrated into the into the frame shape. Um, Specialized has more or less done that with their their little bottle sail shark fin, whatever you want to call that <laughs> on the back. Right, um, right. So I, I'd spoken to a few people who were riding those bikes, and one of the big concerns I had was uh, how difficult is it to actually drink out of this thing? Because it's um, a fairly long run of the hose that you've got to to actually suck the liquid up. Um, but I think they use large diameter hose, which uh, reduces all the yep. essentially the, the loss. Um, and because it's about the same height, uh, it's not like you're pulling it through a big straw. Um, there's not the, the hydrostatic pressures that you're dealing with and trying to overcome by bringing it up like maybe a foot or two. Um, there was that old, uh, I think it was the old Shiv had that integrated um, down to bottle or not mm -hmm. bottle, yep. but just the, the, bladder. the bladder. Yeah. And everyone I've talked to said those were terrible. They were really hard to drink from. So exactly the point I mentioned, you're, you're pulling liquid um you know, a foot or two vertically. Uh, and then on top of that, it was really difficult to clean. But this this new bladder seems to solve a lot of those problems. So it's removable, which honestly makes the bike look terrible. Um, it just, it looks like <laughs> it it's looks naked up, without it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the, the one thing that I still want to point out is just how I, I don't see how people can fill this easily while they're riding right didn't um, lucy charles have all sorts of problems with it last year uh, that she couldn't she lost the cover or she couldn't close the cover there was something about the cover of that bottle that that caused her grief yeah i think it was she couldn't close the cover or couldn't get it open or both um because having seen it um it's a pretty beefy cover so which is good and bad because it makes it really hard to open up and to actually get the the opening there for the um the refilling it but um then going to close it again it's it's fairly narrow so you have to have it lined up perfectly to get it in right. um so and this I, is behind I, you while you're pedaling at yeah. 40 kilometers an hour if you're a pro yes oh. exactly yeah um so not the easiest thing to deal with so i think they need some kind of solution around that um magnets and, magnets are the answer <laughs> so i talked to a one of the pros um or a new pro who wasn't racing there but was attending the race and she said that's exactly what she was going to try and do was like trim off the the part that gets caught and then just put magnets on there oh see um, yeah so you're onto something uh, <laughs> Patent pending, you, bro. <laughs> yeah <laughs> the other thing that uh, they could look at was, um, well, what I think anyway, is if they run a second tube down there and you just have kind of like, uh, oh, cool. if you've seen pictures of uh, midair refueling for yep, fighter yep, aircraft, yep. you do the same thing where you just have a little hole. Like a little <laughs> funnel somewhere? Yeah, exactly. So you put that up at the front, it fills the, the bladder and then that's super easy. You don't ever have to worry about going around to the back. Or maybe just um, have one hose and have like that removable funnel. You can have one hose that like yeah. fills it and you drink from, like you just have two interchangeable, you have a mouthpiece for drinking and a funnel for filling. Yeah, actually that's, that's a pretty good idea too. And that would cut down on extra weight. Yeah. So there we go. Specialized. If you're listening, we'll take full credit for this. <laughs> give, give endurance innovation a call and uh, we'll, we'll give you all the details. We'll send you some drawings. I think we'll just settle for a pair of shivs as well for compensation. Yes. So <laughs> <laughs> we could definitely strike a deal. Yeah. Um, yeah. The other cool thing about the the shiv is the the front fork 
Um, and I've been oh, noticing this part. for a while. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they use something that's quite interesting that actually disc brakes have allowed for. Um, and that's basically when you have two objects that are close together, you get this essentially interference drag, it's called, where um, the air being accelerated around one object interferes with the other one, increases drag for everything. So the reason I bring this up is because a typical rim brake setup, um, the forks have to be close enough to the rim that you can get the brakes in there. Without that, without needing to have that rim brake set up, you can now bring the forks way away from the actual wheel, uh, which reduces drag of both the fork and the wheel. And um, yeah, and it just, it makes for a faster bike. And what they've done is turned it into essentially three vertical sections. So now you've got this, um, I guess for lack of a better term, turning vein or stator setup, which would be redirecting the flow along the back of the frame, uh, which would cut down on drag and crosswinds because you're now controlling the airflow the way you want to instead of having flow separation. So I, I think it's a super cool design. Um, it's not particularly light, but it it looks neat. Um, the science behind it, well, there is some science behind it, which is more than a lot of the super bike designs can say. Um, but it was, yeah, it's pretty cool to look at, pretty cool to see in person. And it looks a lot better in person than in pictures. I've always been a fan of this bike. I know it was like, you know, super polarizing when they revealed it last year because it was a big deal because there hadn't been a new Shiv bike in years and people have been waiting for it. And, you know, there was the big reveal. The curtain was pulled back and everyone went gasp and, you know, started throwing around the, the, the vomiting emojis on, on social media. <laughs> um, but listen, I, I, well, yeah, if the science is sound, which it, it seems like it is, and it's a, it's a unique bike that, that rides well, um, I'm all for it. I think that... I like things that look a little bit different. I think status quo is boring. Um, and so if it's a unique looking bike that also, you know, delivers on this promise of being super aerodynamic, I'm, uh, I'm all for it. Plus that like iridescent purple green paint. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally in love with it. Yes. There's something to be said for marketing as well as the actual science, I guess. For sure. Well, they've, uh, they've got me buying into it. For, I'll say that much. All right. So specialized, if you're still listening, the iridescent <laughs> paint on Michael's. <laughs> Please and thank you. Um, next, you wanted to talk about some extensions that you saw on the uh, on the Canyon bikes that the pros were riding. And this harkens back to some of what you saw at Eurobike, right? Yeah. So uh, some of what I saw at Eurobike was basically these more integrated extensions that follow the contours of your forearm. Um, so there's there's scientific reason for this. If you have a large force in a small area, that's pressure is essentially force over area. So a typical pad, you've got a lot of your body weight or your torso weight leaning on your elbows. With a large pad, you're now spreading it out over a huge area. So it reduces the pressure on your elbows, spreads it out over your forearms. Um, the, the side advantage is you can now essentially integrate this shape into your forearms. So you don't have instead of the air going over a tube and then over your forearm, it's now going over one shape, which should cut down on drag a bit. Um, the the concern I have, especially in Kona, is that you've got this rubber insulator <laughs> that you've now pressed yeah. up against half your arm. Right. Uh, so I was like looking at it, I, I'm just thinking like, how hot does this get? Um, and is it a problem? So for me, I can imagine getting super sweaty and just having, yeah, just having it turn into a slippery mess. But uh, maybe, maybe not everyone sweats the same as I do. 
Right. I'm wondering about, uh, so, uh, you know, having looked at some of the materials that people use for, for the, for the pads, um, you, some of it is actually, you know, similar to that rubberized material that I think, you know, Oakley and other sunglass manufacturers use that is, that actually becomes stickier and more tacky when it's wet. Um, so I don't know that slipping is going to be a huge issue. Um, but, I do. I do take your point on the. You know, you're, 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 you've got less uh, airflow over the over the forearm, but I also think it's more of like you're. I'm gonna get this bone confused because there's a two in your forearm, the radius and the ulna. I think it's the radius on the outside. Anyway, the part that would rest against it, um, but the heavily vascularized part of the forearm, which is the inner forearm, probably wouldn't make too much contact with that material. So I think it's it would still be available. It would still be kind of in the breeze, as it were, and be able to be cooled. But that's kind of my, that's just my guess at, at imagining how your forearm would interact with that surface. No, that's a really good point. And I hadn't considered that. And so I think, yeah, with, with consideration of this, uh, it probably is not as bad for cooling as I'd imagine. I still think you'd get sweaty, but as long as you can sort out the materials behind it, then that'd be okay. Um, the, the other quick thing I want to mention is there was another company that had, uh, I think it was Diamond, had custom elbow cups. And they actually had to drill a hole to drain sweat um, because <laughs> these elbow cups would just turn into cups. Little so, swamps, yeah. Yeah, which that would be gross, like being elbow deep, literally elbow deep in your own sweat. Yeah, there is actually, um, so TriRig, which is a company that I follow closely, and I just, as I told you offline, I just bought a set of what a set of their bars, which I'm super excited about. Um, but they've got a prototype cup um, that they're manufacturing. So they're, they've, they're, they have two versions of it. One is just going to be a longer, like a much longer traditional cup, which is sounds like what uh, these guys are using, but not custom molded to your forearm, um, but just a longer, you know, a longer cup to support more of your forearm. And then they have another version that has a back to it. So you can literally rest your elbow into it um so that i imagine getting kind of soggy because there's nowhere for that you know the sweat would yeah would exactly would pool in that in that <laughs> cup and uh yeah you'd have to kind of like bail it out <laughs> every now and then if you're doing a hot race so maybe maybe uh try rig if you're listening you may want to consider drilling some holes I'm using all of my brain power to try not to visualize this right now. <laughs> um but uh the other advantage i think of longer you know, you mentioned pressure, and that's a big one. Um, another advantage, I think, of the increased surface area is if you if you guys have seen, um, you know, people riding with a, a tilted extension position, so something like as, as high as a praying mantis, or even anything that's above uh, appreciably above horizontal, um, there is a little bit of slip that can happen. So the greater surface area also means there's more friction between your skin and the pad. So you're less likely to slip down those, uh, those pads at, um, you know, the more extreme angle. So I think it's, uh, the longer, those longer cups or longer custom cups, uh, would be a win for anyone riding with a more tilted forearm position. What they almost need is that, uh, the gecko skin, gecko grip stuff on there. Yeah. So once you put your forearms in, you're not coming out kind of like <laughs> clipped in pedals. Yeah. 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 Uh, that could be interesting if you have to if you have to reach for your brakes. 
Yes. Yeah. Maybe not ideal. No. Uh, one other quick point I want to make on this is uh, looking at Lucy Charles setup. She's got, um, I guess it's Lucy Charles Barclay now, um, as I'm sure I will confuse this many times. So that's my <laughs> catch all. <laughs> but uh, she's got another company out of the Netherlands, I believe, um, Speedbar. And they do custom molded uh, extensions that are designed right around your own forearms. And they do this commercially. It's not cheap, but they look like they turn around a really nice product. Um, so I'm really curious about this. A little out of my price range, but um, yeah, I think it's around 3,000 euros for a set. But it it just does go to show you that some of this additive manufacturing and the custom 3D scanning stuff, um, it's actually starting to hit the marketplace in a limited way. So at what point do we see, you know, we do a scan of a cyclist uh, using the virtual wind tunnel, Andrew, and then you just like 3D print them a complete bike that is the most aerodynamic option for their position possible? Uh, well, I think the real question is how much money do they want to spend on that? <laughs> on that ultra custom bike. Yes. Yeah. But sometime in the future, like um, custom footwear, custom orthotics, things like that are already using 3D scanning technology. So it's only a matter of time before it, um, I don't want to use the word infiltrates before it, before it uh, permeates into other areas of um, just athletic equipment or just things in general. Cool. All right. Let's, uh, we've talked a little bit about bikes. Uh, what about swim apparel and equipment? Yeah. So there's not a whole lot changing in this. Um, there's a few small developments I've heard in wetsuits, but really it's the heads up display or the feedback of um, just your, your swim metrics that are making it to you as a swimmer now. And there's a couple different companies that, um, that I've seen products from. So one of them that was displaying at Kona was Form Goggles. And I believe DC Rainmaker did a kind of a review or a first look at them a month or so ago. And the actual display, like I was really impressed with it. I, I took a look at it and it, they have these renderings where you can see you know, what it would look like. And you always imagine, oh, this is just kind of... This is marketing promo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I expected it to be like that, but I looked at it and it's, it looks exactly like huh. that. So they did a fantastic job with the display integration. The, the real question will be whether or not someone can basically take this and use the information they're getting like is it useful to have your live pace or anything else like that for sure um the other the other challenge is i don't believe there's gps integrated with it so if you're getting pace like it's good for pool but not good for triathlon right um so yeah when you're doing splits every 25 meters it's able to determine oh you just went 25 meters oh you just went 50 meters but it doesn't necessarily know I'm three eighths of a length or whatever fraction. So it can't give you that live, live update, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, this, this could be something we see in the future, but I think nailing the display is probably the biggest part of it. Um, but the only, or the biggest downside I can see with this though, is just the, um, the goggles themselves. Uh, if you have a preference for a certain type of goggle, or if you have a face that doesn't, um, doesn't fit many types of goggles, they only offer it on their own goggles so if they get scratched up if they get um you know damaged or whatever then you're gonna have to buy a whole new set i think so maybe they've got a way around this but that's a huge limitation from what i see for sure yeah it's not a super robust system in that sense um some of my thoughts i, I haven't done much digging into them i've just seen them kind of uh, advertised um i think live view would be useful if you were doing longer sets certainly right because mm -hmm. you know as you say like if you're doing a 25 or a 50 you're not going to get much much uh information much live information but if you're doing something like four 800s or long continuous it might it might help a little bit um 
uh, yeah, lack of GPS would certainly make them pretty useless in open water. But the um, the point that we should make is that the this this device is has would have to have its own sensors built in, right? It wouldn't be able to communicate to your watch uh, or to your other, you know, swim metric device that you may be wearing, let's say under your swim cap, because obviously you can't really get a signal through through the water uh, reliably. So this there there's something more than just it's not it's more than just a display. It's a it's a display and. Uh, a metric gathering device, and whenever you're, uh, you know, you're you're looking at something that that gathers metrics, um, you're, there's always going to be some kind of error involved there. I mean, um, Garmin's been in this game for you know years and years, and they still occasionally will miss a length when they don't register, you know, when the Garmin on your wrist doesn't register a turn properly. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, it robs you of a 25 meters uh, portion of your swim. <laughs> Unless it goes on Strava, it didn't happen. Yeah, that's right. So if you know, whenever there's a new player in the game, and we, I remember when we had Andrew, when we had Triton on, we interrogated them a little mm-hmm. bit about this, like you know, how good is your is your hardware and then software in in actually registering everything that you that the swimmer does? Because like I said, Garmin's been at it for a while, and they still miss stuff all the time. Yeah, it's not perfect. And like you said, the the transmission is really difficult underwater. Um, a lot of devices now, like the heart rate monitors, um, so both Garmin's as well as the, the Four Eyes uh, heart rate monitor will actually record the data. Um, so it's it'll store it and then upload it later when you have access or ability to, to wirelessly transmit the data. Right. But you do lose a little bit of resolution and you rely on it having a good time sync as well. So if you get it so that um, it's slightly out of order, you may not have... You know, you might have an event where, say, you have to sprint past someone in the swim. Well, that might be off by 30 or 40 seconds if the timing gets all screwed up. And then you look at your your traces and your heart rate's really high, but your pace is low um, or pace is slow, rather. Uh, and, yeah, just that syncing of everything um, is super critical. I assume they've got it pretty well nailed, but um, I think you lose a little bit of the, the live feedback that you would. You don't get the same data rate reporting that you do with um, something that's out of water and just live communicating with a watch or with a head unit. For sure. Cool. So that was, um, yeah, the form goggles there. There's a couple other uh, competitive products that... Um, that, that we've seen. Uh, one is the Platysense Marlin, which I've actually got. Um, so I bought it as a Kickstarter, but they have a GPS unit that you tie into the back of your goggles. Okay. And this one's actually really cool for open water. I didn't see anything at the the event for it. Um, they weren't displaying at Kona or anything, but this is just something that I've used and I like. Um, and it has the, the GPS measurement and it will, you can plot out a course and it can actually give you directions through a little bone conducting speaker. No, oh, cool. Okay. Um, so it'll tell you, go left yep, dummy. Yeah. You're off course. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think the dummy part is a custom, <laughs> uh, custom speech command you might be able to put in, <laughs> but uh, you could have your coach yell at you. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, you can put in waypoints and if you get a certain distance from a waypoint, it'll tell you, okay, go to the next waypoint, which is in this direction, like three o'clock or four o'clock you know, whatever. Huh. Um, but I think that's, that's super cool for open water. Yeah. Especially if you're um, doing something like something that's, you know, a little further away from shore or, you know, something mm-hmm. complicated. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, honestly, that's, that is the one thing that can give you live pace while you're open water swimming because it uses GPS and because it's on the back of your swim goggles, uh, it's always out of the water. Yep. 
or mostly always out of the water um, so that you get actually a good GPS reading. Cool. Um, so that's a super cool device. The other one that I'm kind of interested in trying out um, is uh, Instabeat. We've been um, basically asked to, to try these out. So um, that one offers live heart rate feedback. That's so right. it'll be interesting to see whether or not that's something you can use in a set. Um, like a lot of a lot of my swimming is just perceived exertion, right? Or splits. Yeah, something. Yeah, most of most of my assignments are in you know splits based on say like critical swim speed or some other, you know, threshold style metric. Yeah, and so I guess the question I have is that you know is that the standard because it's all that's available, or is it the standard because it's the best thing to use? And I don't really know the answer to that. It might take a long time to actually adapt to using heart rate for for swim sets, but um, I think. You know, it's it's worth a try seeing what information you have and what you can use. Um, yeah, I'm always curious. Yeah, I'm keen to try it too. I think my kind of my gut feeling is heart rates. Heart rates one of those metrics that is that is a lagging indicator, right? It's um, it lags effort substantially. So um, that's why I don't use it a ton for cycling and running because I have really other really good metrics for cycling and running. Um, but it might be. It might be something of value too. And the nice thing about Instabeat is that it's uh, it's a standalone unit which can uh, strap to pretty much any pair of goggles. So there's no, you know, you can wear whatever the heck you want and uh, just put this unit on your on your uh, temple, and it reads your. Uh, it does optical heart rate through the t- through the temporal artery. I assume is what it, it was what it's called. Like there's yeah, the little artery in your temple. Yeah, um, so I guess we'll we'll see how that goes, and we'll report back on it. Yeah, I'm uh, I've got I'm actually running a marathon tomorrow, so after that I'll be I'll be happy not <laughs> to run so much anymore, and then uh, I'll, I'll actually start swimming again, <laughs> be able to give the insta beat a good go. Well, good luck on the marathon tomorrow. Well, thank you. All right, uh, the next two things that I want to talk about are really they're close to my heart. It's heat transfer related, so I get to completely geek out about Yay! this. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, that's not sar- that's not sarcastic at all because I actually I think you know I'm 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 a kindred spirit with you, Andrew, on this topic. Coming from anyone else, I would have assumed that was sarcasm, but uh, from you, I I trust that. Nice. So the the first one, um, it was the Omius heart uh, or the headband. Um, so O M I U S, uh, and I've seen them before. They were pointed out to me a while back. I don't think they've gotten a ton of market penetration, um, but it's it's a really neat technology. And they had some, I would say, clever, possibly controversial marketing. Um, they're basically throwing these at pros the day before the race. And if you watch the coverage, a lot of people are wearing these. Um, and I haven't tried it yet, but I've heard it's actually surprisingly effective. Um, but the idea behind this is you're essentially attaching a heat sink to your whatever part of your body, to your head, I think. Was it Daniela Blymel uh, who had them on her wrist? Someone had them on the wrist. But if you look back at the Kona coverage, um, you will see people wearing these things. And they're pretty distinct because it's got these little like blocks that are kind of silvery. And I this is a complete conjecture at this point. Uh, wild speculation about how they work. But um, from what I understand, it's just a metal foam. And using capillary forces... Um, you can draw fluid, essentially your sweat, you draw it out to the the metal foam, which is highly conductive, but also offers a lot of surface area. So you would be able to evaporate it a lot more effectively than you would just the sweat on your skin. And then when it evaporates from even the surface of this aluminum foam, um, it would transfer heat all the way back down to your body. 
um, because evaporation removes a lot of energy from it. So it would be essentially a way of enhancing your own evaporative cooling. And we've talked many times about how effective that can be. Um, so I think the the idea behind it is sound. I'd be very curious to try it out. And in a place like Arizona, where it's super dry, I think these things would just be absolutely killer. Um, even if they like if they work in Hawaii, they're definitely going to work in Arizona. So I'm very keen to see these. Um, Cody Beal has a set. Cody Beals has a set that he was given. Um, unfortunately, he didn't make it to the run, but um, I'm hoping that uh, I can maybe test his set out at some point. Yeah, um, yeah. I think I think this is a really cool product because I think we we've when we were doing our um, our heat transfer episode, our cooling episode, we talked about one of the limitations of sweat is just the available surface area on your body, right? Like at certain point, you know, you get to the point where like every squ- every square centimeter of your skin is wet, right? So it's not you know at that point, the, sweating more doesn't really do anything for you because there's no more available surface area for that sweat to evaporate and cool you. And just looking at the website for these guys, yeah, it looks like their um, their product has a ton of surface area, even though it just sits on a headband because of the you know the it looks like it's a it's a porous as, as Andrew was saying porous aluminum foam, so that is a, a huge uh, a huge amount of surface area. So then all that sweat that your your head naturally produces now has some place to go, and uh, and then evaporate and then uh, you know help you shed that heat. So the thing to remember with sweat is if it ever gets to the point that it's dripping off you, it's no longer effective because now you're you're losing that water mass without benefiting from the heat transfer, the heat removal that you would get otherwise. Um, yep. So if this prevents the dripping, <laughs> then then it would uh, it would be some kind of benefit. So very keen to try this out. It looks cool. It's a neat application of science, uh, which I always appreciate. But um, yes. Yeah, of, of, we'll, of we'll thermodynamics, no less. <laughs> yes, yes, phase change. Yep. It's yeah, very exciting stuff. <laughs> okay, speaking the, of phase change, that that's yeah. that's number five too, <laughs> isn't it? You're on a you're on a phase change kick. Oh, I wish wow. I could make an alliteration here, but I I, I wish I'd planned that segue better. Uh, I had it set up and then just <laughs> let it drop. So. Uh, so the, the final thing here is actually something that wasn't on display, but, uh, I had had a chat with the founder of this company previously, and I've actually referenced some of his, um, his scientific literature before, but it's, uh, Paul Larson, who's, um, he's famous for, uh, well, famous within the triathlon world anyway, um, different kind of fame, I guess, but, um, he's, he's done some research on basically human performance in, uh, extreme environments. So how do you keep someone cool? Um, how do you enhance their performance under these super hot, super humid conditions? And one of the things that he was really pushing was, which is something that I love the concept of, and I've talked about before is slushy drinks. So with these slushy drinks, you get a ton of heat transfer, um, or just heat absorption, I guess. And that all that heat goes into melting the ice. So you're not actually, um, not directly removing the heat, but you're just essentially absorbing it in another fluid that takes it out of your, your body. So, and then the phase change takes even more heat than the, the actual increase in temperature of water. So when you have this partial ice mixture that you're ingesting, it's super effective at lowering your core temperature. The big challenge with these is if you try and put a slushy mixture in a traditional water bottle, 
it's you're basically just going to squeeze out the liquid and end up with ice in a bottle that you can't access, right. um, which is super annoying. I've tried to do this before. And Never mind keeping it as ice as opposed to, you know, <laughs> yeah. when, when, you, when you need it most is when it's hot and that's when it's going to melt the fastest. Yeah. So there, there are many challenges. And um, this bottle, it's been on the market for a year or two, but um, one of his initial papers looked at the, I think it was the, the run performance with uh, New Zealand Triathlon because um, he spent a lot of time. He's a Canadian, Canadian guy, but he spent a lot of time in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Uh, working with Dan Plews, who actually, um, he took the age grouper world record at Kona last year, something like 8.34. So pretty good time for an age grouper. Um, arguably, he could be a pro. <laughs> yeah, I so, think that's a safe bet. Um, but uh, anyway, so they've, um, they've, they've done some research on this. They've developed this flow bottle, FLOE. Um, and it's got a large opening so that you can actually squeeze the the slushy mixture out of it, and it's it's insulated so it's um, uh, it's got multiple layers of silicone and got like a an air gap in between just to just to keep it from melting as fast. Now when you're in Kona, everything melts fast. It's unbelievable <laughs> just how quickly things turn from ice to water. Um, but I did find that, uh, there were some limitations with the bottle itself. Like if you get a fresh slushy mixture, um, it worked quite well, but, um, the actual bottle design, I think it could use a few refinements. Um, the insulation could have been a little bit better. Um, the, the actual lid, the part that they've got patented was uh, very well done. I think, um, the other main problem I had with this is just, it was a fairly small volume. So 500 milliliters. And Mm. then on top of that, you couldn't even get the bottom little bit out just because of the shape of the bottle. So that stuff could have used some work, but again, the science behind it, I, I absolutely love. And I think it's a, a great product that needs more attention. Yeah, right. And I think we've, uh, we, we're, we've been able to convince a lot of people that, uh, you know, face change is the way to go. And, uh, you know, once you obviously you're sweating and you're getting that evaporative, um, cooling, but this consuming slushy drinks is, is clearly a win. And, but the big, the big problem with it is logistics. Like how do you actually carry it without melting it? And then how do you actually drink it without actually, you know, well, while still getting the ice into your body. So if this, if this bottle can do that, that's, uh, that would be a very useful piece of kit. And you know what? I, I like the, I really like, as much as I like flashy, you know, $15,000 <laughs> shiv bikes, you know, small stuff like this, you know, little things that I'm sure this bottle costs, you know, an, an obscene amount for a bottle, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's still, you know, it's still a fairly inexpensive, uh, relatively speaking, inexpensive piece of kit that can really make a difference. So I'm I'm excited about this kind of stuff. Yeah, and I would argue that performance per dollar is much much higher than a lot of bike equipment you buy. Um, oh, no doubt. <laughs> or all bike equipment that you buy. Um, but that's you know that's a bit of a side comment. But uh, I think yeah, it, with refinement in the design and with more attention given to this kind of thing, I think it could be huge. Uh, so. Like, what if Iron Man started handing out slushy drinks? Like, what if the aid stations went through 7-Elevens and you just top up a Slurpee? <laughs> yeah, you just have one of the Slurpee machines yeah. on the side of the road with giant generators. That would be amazing. Because then you get, like, fresh flushy, fresh slushy all the time. Absolutely. I do Iron Man just for that. Yeah, who wouldn't? Um, you, I think you said last time, back to the the, the nerdy number stuff. Um, I, I remember in that uh, uh, the heat transfer episode we did a while back, um, you said that if you consume a liter of slushy drink, if it was essentially ice, you you would you know you could drop your core temperature for a seventy kilo human by something like a degree and a half. Does that sound right? Am I making that up? Good memory. I think those are the exact numbers. So 
Yeah. Your memory okay. is far Good. superior so then, to mine. <laughs> so then a half liter on, you know, one of these bottles, that's, you know, that's three quarters of a degree. That's, that's a lot, you know, it doesn't sound like much, but when it's your core body temperature, that's the difference between, you know, warm, but functional and, uh, and overheated and, you know, crying into your, crying onto your shoes on the side of the road. Or waking up to a paramedic above you. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So I think there, there's a ton of potential with this. Honestly, one of the biggest limitations, as funny as it, it sounds, is uh, brain freeze. Just getting around this issue of trying to consume super cold mixtures. And I don't see an immediate solution to that. Like you can kind of meter this in where you have it over the course of 10, 15 minutes and it's not too bad. But uh, say you get to that extreme point or you're running through an aid station, you say they did offer a glass of this uh, slush mixture, then yeah. trying to consume that quickly is going to be the big challenge. Um, I don't know of a good solution right now, but uh, maybe in the next couple of years, we'll see something come out as there's more attention given to this. Yeah, cool. Very cool. Um, well, that uh, that wraps up your five, doesn't it? It does. Um, there's one other topic that I want to I guess, take a tangent on. <laughs> and this is sure. uh, extreme elevation. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because uh, Scott Cooper and I did a run at the top of Mauna Loa, um, which uh, peaks at almost 14,000 feet or 4,200 meters. Um, mm. So you're getting seriously high at this point. Like you're looking down on clouds and going through this 10K run from the parking lot at the observatory to the sump, um, it's... Uh, yeah, like it's, it's just so tough to go through these conditions. Um, I was actually experiencing like almost not quite blacking out, but like I was losing some of my, uh, peripheral vision and it was kind of going spotty, um, slurred speech, uh, confusion, things like that. <laughs> so hmm. it is unbelievable what happens to your body when you get into a low oxygen environment like that. Yeah. Without, without adapting to it. And yeah, I mean, you're, you're coming from a somewhat, um, you know, a little bit of altitude in Calgary, as we talked about. Um, but this is, you know, three times mm -hmm. that, right? Yeah, it is super high. And uh, so Scott's goal for the day, he didn't actually get to do it, but he wanted to run from sea level up to 14,000 okay. feet. Um, he settled for running from where we were staying in Volcano National Park there. Uh, I think it was... 3,000 or 3,500 meters of elevation gain from where okay. we were. So not bad, <laughs> not, not bad for a day's, yeah, run, a day's run. Did he get the Strava segment, the KON? Uh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> no one else has been stupid enough to try that. There you go. You don't have to be fast. You just have to be the only one. Yeah, but uh, no, the, the altitude was pretty crazy. And uh, yeah, it, it is just unbelievable what it does to your body. Um, and I, I've heard about it before, but this is the first time I've actually experienced it. And I just wanted to make mention of that as something that, uh, you know, it's just an interesting anecdote more than anything, but for sure, uh, it really messes you up. Oh yeah, I, I, I mean, I've never experienced it, so I have no firsthand uh, knowledge, or, uh, but uh you know, having a, a an understanding of how metabolism works, how reliant, you know, our body's means of producing energy, which he uses for everything, never mind like muscle contractions, but also, you know, brain operation and, and vital, you know, chemical processes, they all require, you know, chemical energy and oxygen is a critical component of our body's ability to manufacture that energy. So uh, a drastic reduction in oxygen would, doesn't surprise me at all that would, uh, feel terrible and really have a, a very, very profound effect on how your body functions in every capacity. Yep. Yep. I completely agree with that based on my <laughs> field test that I did. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, your n equals one experiment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Cool. No, I think that wraps up all my Kona experience. Um, so yeah, very interesting to go to. Um, it's it's a neat spectacle for anyone who hasn't had the chance to be there. I've obviously never raced there. Um, I don't know if I could race there, but it's yeah, extreme conditions. Um, people are adapting extreme ways or interesting, innovative ways of dealing with the heat. And honestly, over the next couple of years, I'd love to see, or I'm excited to see how uh, the adaptation with the just the different methods of heat transfer or heat control, um, how that kind of evolves over time and what people see as the most effective method. Yeah. So you guys listening to us, you know, rant about heat transfer and get all excited about it. You know, you think we're, we're crazy, but, uh, there, there's some, you know, some <laughs> not real totally wrong. I'm not too, <laughs> okay. <fair. laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, there are some real, uh, real world applications in our sport to, um, being able to manage the heat, especially in the long course stuff, because, because, you know, in, in races like Kona and there are many others like it, uh, heat management is, is a very substantial limiter to performance. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, yep. Exciting times for everyone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so Andrew, anything that, uh, our listeners need to know about what you're up to or what four eyes is up to? Uh, well, the only thing I guess on the go for us is we're just in the process of launching the, the new flight trainer. Um, right. so that one's the, the big one for us. So if you're interested in picking up a new trainer, uh, it'll be hitting stores soon through either our distributor. You can go to our website at, uh, four eyes.com. That's uh, the number four with I, 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 I.com, uh, which is a <laughs> very difficult website to try and explain to people, especially, uh, through audio, <laughs> but, um, yeah, it'll it'll be up there for sale. It's, it'll be in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. Yeah, and it builds on the old Stack Zero Halcyon, and the, it takes the good parts about that and mixes it with, uh, or we did our best to remove all the bad parts about it, like with the wheel weights that were kind of a pain to install. Um, so yeah, we're really excited to to hear what people think about it. Sounds good. I uh, I know I have uh, an athlete that I've been working with for about a year and a half who's really keen to get his hands on one. So, you know, uh, give me a shout once they're available. I know that he'll uh, he'll be placing that order. Excellent. Yep, absolutely. Cool. And then on your side of things, uh, good luck in the marathon tomorrow. I guess we can maybe do a race wrap up of that if it's uh, <laughs> if it goes well. There's not going to be much to talk about, I guess. But uh, we'll we'll see how it goes. I don't know that I'm doing anything interesting enough. Uh, it's been a long time since I've run a marathon. I'm running this the the Toronto Waterfront uh, race tomorrow. Um, conditions look good, you know, training is, <laughs> the, the training was what it was. Uh, the, yeah, I think, I don't think there's going to be anything super interesting, but next time we'll, next time we do a show, I'll, uh, I'll mention how it went. Um, and if there was anything remarkable that happened, then we can maybe spend a little bit more time talking about it too. All right. I'm counting on you to make it a remarkable race that we can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, actually, you know, uh, remarkable races, unless it's like something really wild that you've done for the first time. Um, those, uh, remarkable races are usually the ones that you, uh, you know, maybe want to forget. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds great then. Anything else that you wanted to add? Uh, yeah. So, um, as we're transitioning into, uh, for us, the, um, end of race season with the, the last couple of, uh, run races, um, X3, we're doing, uh, some, uh, strength training classes, some group strength training on Monday and Wednesday nights. So if you're in the Toronto area, we still have a couple of spots, uh, give me a shout. Um, and we're also going to be doing some indoor track work also in Toronto on Thursday nights. So again, if you're interested in that, uh, you know how to get a hold of me. We'll have, um, 
an email link for X3. So that is all for us. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. 